And how did that go? How did your first experience go? My first class was really fun, really hard. I don't remember the workout, but I do have a picture that I posted. I was one of those morning Facebook uh, motivational quote people. (laughs) Every day I would put like a motivational quote. I think it was more for myself um, than for anybody else. But I have a picture of the very, very top of the whiteboard where you can kind of see the logo of the gym. And I posted something like trying something new today. Um, And, you know, I can't tell you how many of those trying something new posts I'd probably put up there. Um, But for some reason, this one stuck. Like I was hooked pretty much right from the get go. Hi, my name is Scott Schweitzer and I am the Clydesdale CrossFitter. My friends, Amy Radowski, Charlie Odie and I, we love the sport of CrossFit. We are 40 plus masters athletes who just love to watch the sport and want to let you know what's going on all the way from the open to the sanctionals to the CrossFit games. We also want to give you interviews with athletes human interest stories, and things that will help you in your daily grind uh, as a CrossFit athlete. We also want to share our own struggles through our workouts, our nutrition plans, all the way to getting healthy and fit uh, for our family and friends. If you like what you hear, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, and please consider giving us a five-star rating. And now, off to this week's episode of the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends. Hey everyone, welcome to the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends. This is episode 11 for us, and we are without one of our standby people. She has flown to Rome, uh, so Amy is over there, and she's actually going to drop into a CrossFit gym, so we are excited to find out how that goes. Uh, She's fancy. She is fancy. Uh, I got a couple pictures this morning of her uh, drinking wine with the caption, When in Rome. Mm. It's all about balance. It's about balance. But we do have with us uh, my boy, Charlie Odie. What's going on, man? What's up? So how was your training week, man? Um, I didn't get in as many days as I'd like this week. Um, but, you know, that's, that happens sometimes with life. So we uh, so we just get after it uh, next week. So I know uh, at the beginning of the year you signed up with GoWad. I did. I did. And so with that, you got to test your mobility. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, once a, it's about once a month, they have a little test that, that goes through a, a series of, of different um, positions and, and movements that assess your, uh, within their algorithm of percentage of your mobility. And um, it, it's uh, based on my mobility. I was probably, um, right there with the, the elite athletes, I was just probably 80% off of theirs. So, um, so yeah, so we're going to, uh, we're going to test this thing out for, for a couple months, maybe a year and see if, uh, see if this stuff really works. So just for the listeners benefit, what was your starting percentage of mobility? Well, I came in at a cool 18%, um, which probably means that I don't know how I walk or function in life, but, uh, so I got nowhere to go, but up. Is, is that just under a piece of steel? Uh, I believe so. I okay. believe so. A uh, awesome. cold steel actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, my training, so, week, yeah. 
Yeah, so so we'll we'll test that out. We'll see if you can get up to maybe twenty percent, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. Uh, it's actually probably something I should look into as well. My I have a lot of mobility in some aspects of my body, but other aspects are very very bad. Uh, front rack being probably the worst. Uh, we're the best at front rack. Oh, that thing kills me. Uh, it would make my CrossFit career so much easier if I could just rest a bar on my clavicle. But that we are we are what we are, and That's right. uh, may, maybe I'll look into that go wad. For me, yeah, um, I I was pretty consistent this week. Got um, got my four days in, um, and I'm using I'm using the Whoop strap uh, mm-hmm. 3.0, and it is it's really cool because it kind of tracks a lot of things. It, it tracks your workouts as a strain measurement. It tracks your sleep it tracks your recovery. And so what's funny is I've worked out harder this week. My sleep got better and my recovery got better, Hmm. which, uh, so across the board, that was pretty cool. I was, I was humming probably around 80% most of the week on my recovery, uh, which is a nice green color. And that means I'm doing well. Uh, my sleep was between 80 and 98% throughout the week except for one night where I kind of slipped off a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. And then my strain, uh, as I'm coming back from the surgery, it was, my strain wasn't getting over 10 much, even with the workouts. And uh, this week I started getting in, getting into those double digit strains again, uh, which has been pretty cool. Great. So pretty happy with that. Uh, the only drawback for me, just to be transparent with the listeners, is uh, they did put me back in casts. Uh, to try mm. to finish healing my legs faster. Uh, and it was a little bit of a sock in the gut because, uh, you know, the struggle has been a long time for me with this. Uh, yeah. But if it if it cures it within a week or two, uh, I'm all for it and ready to uh, get back after it. Absolutely. So that was our training week. And now let's talk about a little bit of CrossFit news. And the first thing... Um, you know, we had an episode, uh, you actually missed where we did our resolutions for the year Mm -hmm. and your resolution was to uh, do the rogue online qualifier, which I believe you did not complete. I did not qualify. Correct. And so then my resolution was to stop the negative attacks on leftrist theophanides. Right. So are you allowed to speak during this or? I think my resolution's out the window. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, for those of you who don't know, uh, earlier this week, uh, Dave Castro actually broke the news on his Instagram account, uh, and it's also available on the CrossFit Games website. But Leftris Theophanides uh, tested positive for a banned substance while competing at the Dubai CrossFit Championships. Mm-hmm. And the social media response was quite interesting. Yes. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Uh, There were a lot of games athletes who were speaking in a way that it appeared that they knew this was happening. Yes. Uh, Which I found very, um, very ironic. Um, I know that that we had railed on him about the standards that he had used in the open, uh, Mm -hmm. where it looked like he was cheating on his open workouts. 
Right. Um, he was not penalized severely for that. Um, I don't know why that happened. Um, and then he went to Dubai and so finished after finishing third in the World Wide Open, went to Dubai and finished almost last. Uh, where he was being judged by uh, someone other than a friend of his or a family member at his own gym. Right. Uh, and we talked about that as well. Yep. Um, but what's really kind of uncanny is that he finishes almost dead last and it was proven that he was using performance enhancing, enhancing drugs. Which is a, maybe he didn't use them correctly. <laughs> Were you wrong amounts, wrong injection site? Right. Yeah. You know, you think you could at least beat someone if you're inform improving your performance. Right. So the so he actually appealed this decision. So there's no official anything at this point, um, and what we're waiting on is the the results of that appeal, mm -hmm. uh, and then he will most likely. Uh, be banned for two to four years, depending on the results of the appeal. And I like the way that he, um, you know, I've always found that if you attack the people who have banned you, it's a great way for them to look at you uh, in a different light. As he, if you see his Instagram and, and Twitter and some things, he's he's really giving it his all. There's a couple F-bombs out there, a couple I don't cares. I don't give a bleep. Yeah. 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 He's so really, uh, he's really pandering to the judges. Pro probably not the best PR tactics, uh, considering the spot he's in right now. Correct. Um, which leads me to believe that he knows he's guilty uh, and yep. there's no way he's winning this appeal. So he's just telling everybody to F off. Right. Um, and so, the last thing I want to talk about with this is the effect it will have on the invites to the games. Uh, so what, what's kind of, so we all thought that that would mean that there would be a backfill for the national champion of Greece. Mm -hmm. uh, the rule book actually does not state that the backfill will happen in a, in a drug banned uh, situation. Right. Uh, so that is not necessarily going to be the case. Uh, at this time, he may not be banned or he may not be backfilled if he is banned. Uh, so there may be no effect. Other people were speculating that it would move the blue line down one notch. Mm -hmm. But because Leftress was a national champion, it actually has no effect on the top 20 mm -hmm. because he was already pulled out of the top 20. Right. And the morning chalk up really does a good job of breaking all that down. Uh, Patrick Allen Clark wrote an article as soon, like the day after the news broke. Uh, and then the day after Justin LaFranco uh, came in and, and kind of after researching the rule book, gave another piece to that. So those two articles together do a really good job of explaining uh, the effect of that and why the top 20 will not change. Mm. If you want to check that out. Great. Well, at this time, uh, that's pretty much the CrossFit news of the week. There's no sanctional this week. Uh, so we're just kind of gearing up uh, for the next few. Uh, the next big one is Wadapalooza in Miami. Um, and so that'll be a fun one. Uh, but for this week, uh, we're just going to have an interview. It's more of a human interest story. Uh, and this is a, a friend of mine that I met at the Mayhem Classic. 
Uh, she judged down there. She has a, um, a really cool story that I wanted everybody to hear. Uh, and the, the basic essence of the story is that uh, she quit a six-figure salary corporate job uh, to, to go after what she loves and is a passion in her life. And so at this time, uh, we're going to flip it over to my interview with Kat Shear uh, and hear her story of why she did that and what her go goals are for the future. Hey, Kat, how you doing? I'm great, Scott. How are you? I am amazing. Perfect. So I am Love so it. excited to talk to you um, about, here. <laughs> about your CrossFit journey. And uh, so for, for first things first, um, how do you pronounce your last name again? It's sheer rhymes with beer. Uh, okay. I'm familiar with the other term. <laughs> I figured. So, so it's cat sheer. Um, Got it. And I'm so excited to talk to her. Uh, she has an amazing story and we're going to talk about it now. And so let's, let's start at the beginning. Uh, you grew up in a competitive environment and that was in classical ballet and so how did how does that work as kind of like a competitive thing is it just competing for roles in different ballets or yeah great question so most likely yeah most of the time i was in with girls that were older than me um i was pretty advanced um, at an early age around six is when i started and yeah, you would compete for, for roles. We did performances like at the end of every year. And, um, you know, I kind of like to be center of attention and I don't mind sort of eyes on me and I would, you know, strive to be better than everybody else in the room. Um, stronger, wanted to jump higher, always wanted to turn faster, those types of things. So yeah, it started pretty early for me. And so you did that for how long? I started when I was six. Um, I finished my sort of, you know, serious ballet career when I was a teenager. I um, had auditioned for some schools in New York and schools in Pennsylvania that I got accepted to and when I was about 16 or 17. And I said to my parents, I would like to move. This is what I want to do. You know, see you later. I'm going to go be this professional ballerina. And they were like, whoa, whoa, pump the brakes. Um, you're going to school. You're going to college. <laughs> and back in the late 80s, early 90s, there wasn't really an avenue for dancers to pursue a professional career and get an education. So nowadays, you can go to school and major in dance and, and still perform professionally and things. There's, there's avenues for that. But back then, anybody that went to college and majored in dance kind of wasn't good enough to be a professional dancer. So <laughs> that's kind of where the dream ended for me, um, just from a practicality perspective. My parents, you know, rolled the roost and they said, you're going to college. So I, I actually left um, high school after my junior year and went to college. So they probably had, you know, my best interests at heart. And, and I don't regret that decision, but I always wonder every once in a while, like, hmm, what would have happened if I had, you know, taken on that pursuit? And you went to college where? I went to the University of Delaware. And you studied? I ended up with a degree in history and a minor in political science. So that was a pretty severe 90 degree turn. 
<laughs> completely. Yes. I, uh, when I went to college, I was a year younger than everybody else. So socially it was sort of, um, you know, awkward and amazing all at the same time for me. And, um, I sort of played around with classes my first couple years. And by the time I needed to declare, it just so happened that I had more history credits than anything else. And one of the old history professors actually used to be um, my ballet partner <laughs> back in the day when I used to dance. And so I thought, well, this will be easy. I'll just become a history major, take all of his classes and just get through college. So that was kind of my mindset at that point in time, unfortunately. So from an athletic background, what happened when you went to college? Uh, so, yeah, I went from, you know, grade school and high school, probably dancing upwards of 30 hours a week to not doing anything. Um, and I like to eat. Um, I like my food. So that was that was a big struggle. I remember freshman year, you know, gaining a lot of weight, um, eating a lot of mac and cheese, a lot of ramen, didn't didn't have a whole lot of knowledge about nutrition because I didn't have to. Um, I moved so much and burned so many calories as a youngster that it wasn't really something I had to focus on. So uh, I just kind of, you know, yeah. yeah I can, I can relate it. completely. You know, I was a swimmer and swam five hours a day. You can eat whatever you want when you're swimming five hours a day. Yeah. You can have a really crappy diet and still be, you know, relatively successful in, in your endeavors and, and not have any body fat. <laughs> That's just a thing. Right. So, yeah. So that was kind of a rude awakening. And I just, you know, got, got depressed and didn't really, wasn't really pleased with my body when I was so used to relying on it so much as a youngster to do what I needed it to do and to look a certain way that that, that was a struggle for me for sure. So you, you, you had that freshman 15, mine was probably freshman 40, um, yep. that really set you back. What was there a moment where you looked at yourself and said, you know, I got to do something. I think I did that. I did that every morning, <laughs> to be honest with you, every morning I woke up and said, I have to do something. Um, social activities got in the way, you know, studies got in the way, boyfriends got in the way. Um, I toyed around a little bit with the gym, you know, we had a gym facility, you could go do some cardio and things like that, but didn't really get back into any kind of fitness until probably, you know, my early twenties when I, once I got out of school. So no real fitness whatsoever was happening at school for me. So you graduate and then did you go to work anywhere immediately? Did you try to, you know, I, I know you didn't become a history professor. <laughs> right. I didn't go to law school like I thought maybe I would do. Um, was done with school. I got a job in uh, the marketing department of a credit card financing company. So I just I literally and this is a funny story. So the um, the ad in the newspaper said, you know, must be organized, have, you know, general knowledge of business and blah, blah, blah. It was very generic. And I thought, well, I can do all that. You know, I'm a smart kid. I can I can figure it out. And I wrote my resume uh, such that at the end, I wrote that I was a former professional ballerina because I was. And during the interview, the guy told me that the only reason he brought me in was because he wanted to meet a professional ballerina. <laughs> and I ended up getting the job. So for all of you looking for a job, exactly. throw that on your resume and you never know what might happen. It really 
differentiated me from the pile and I happened to interview pretty well. And it was between, you know, me and some woman who had been in the industry for 10 years and probably wanted a whole heck of a lot more money than I needed. So that's how I got that job. <laughs> so there was my banking career start. So, so you started at that company and then was there uh, an avenue to get into fitness again? Yeah. So I actually started dating a guy who was a competitive bodybuilder. And so he and I became gym rats together. Um, I think I moved in with him for a little while and we were doing morning sessions at Gold's Gym, coming home and food prepping and then going to work, meeting after work and, and working out some more. So that's when that's when that started. And so did you see an instant transformation in your body and the nutrition and all of that? I did. Um, I definitely saw a difference in my physique and I'm naturally very muscular. I'm like a classic mesomorph. I'm only about five, two, and I'm just loaded with muscle. So any little bit of, you know, muscle development that I would do showed great gains fairly quickly. Um, our, our diet, was pretty terrible, even though we said like we food prepped and things. He was one of those athletes that, and I find it with a lot of bodybuilders, they get super heavy or in the off season and then just in an unhealthy way, cut, cut, cut until they, until they go on stage. So I still wasn't learning how to eat correctly. I was probably eating way too much. Um, cause we were in that sort of bulking season <laughs> together when we were dating. Um, but I did like how I felt and I loved, you know, moving and, and having that, that regimented schedule of, you know, twice a day doing something. It's, it's funny. You mentioned the unhealthy part of the bodybuilding. Um, mm. I've actually worked security at the Arnold fitness expo here in Columbus, okay. Ohio. And yeah. my job is to, was to escort um, the bodybuilders and the physique models from the dressing room to the stage. And okay. they were so out of it because they're so dehydrated when they go on stage and, um, and they've cut so much, like it was like herding cats, getting them from one place to another. Yeah. And uh, you were, you were at your absolute weakest state, you know, the day that you go on stage for those physique contests, it's, it's crazy to think that they put in so much work for that. And it's really just because of an aesthetic. Okay. So we're at that point where you're doing that. Did that relationship mm -hmm. continue? Did that relationship? No, that relationship ended. Um, but it did allow me to sort of get back into uh, a semi-normal gym ish relationship with a local gym where I lived. You know, I was doing the treadmill. I was doing, I did body for life a little bit. Um, I did P90X body fit boot camp type stuff um probably until I got married so that taking that taking me up to like my late 20s so you did meet somebody else I did yes and you ended up getting married correct and you ended up getting pregnant yes so I had my first child at the age of 30 um oh boy so gained 65 pounds with that pregnancy um, was over 200. No, I'm five, two. Remember I was over 200 pounds the day I delivered him. It was a crazy ride. Yeah. I, um, I can, I can relate a little. I know that's weird coming from a man. 
uh, my wife got pregnant at 35 and she actually lost 20 pounds during her pregnancy because she couldn't mm-hmm. keep any food down. And the only thing she could eat was milkshakes um, and little Debbie cakes. That seemed to be the only thing that would stay down. And so her doctor said, eat as much of that as you can right now, because we just need you to get some calories. And so every time I ran to Dairy Queen to get a milkshake for her, well, I might as well get one for myself. Heck yeah. <laughs> so, so I put on the pregnancy weight and she lost it. Um, Interesting. So it was a, it was a crazy ride for us too. Um, and it was a huge blessing because of course our daughter's awesome and uh, we love her to death and I'm sure you feel the same way, but it does do uh, a lot of damage to your body during that time. Absolutely wreaked havoc. Um, he's yeah, love. He's a lovely boy. <laughs> um, he's seven, almost seventeen now. But just yeah, that sixty-five pounds just put a toll on on everything. My fitness, my self-esteem. Um, you know, I lost a bunch after afterwards. A lot of it was probably water weight, and you know, um, I had a little bit of high blood pressure and things like that. So not not much I could could help. But, um, yeah, that was a tough road coming back from that. And I was a smoker. So, I mean, I didn't smoke when I was pregnant, but by the time I got back to work after both of my pregnancies, I was smoking again, which to me was, you know, a built in way to get back to my quote unquote pre-pregnancy weight. So you have two kids. I have two. Yeah. They're two and a half years apart. So 33 was my last pregnancy. And that one went much better than the first, but still had sort of the residual weight from the first one that I was carrying. So um, did not like being pregnant, but God bless anyone that loves being pregnant, because for me, it was not a fun experience and a little isolating because, you know, it's not fun to say that you're miserable for nine months when you're supposed to be happy. You've got this growing baby inside of you, but I just couldn't wait to, for them to be done. (laughs) And, and, and your body's changing at the same time, which is causing you probably at least a little bit of depression um, if you're not even enjoying the pregnancy at all. Um, and so how did you kind of recover from that? Did it, did it take a while? It, it did. Um, I think I just, you know, relished being a mom. I just didn't take a whole lot of time for myself. And so when you're so focused on what the kids are doing, you almost don't realize that you're depressed. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, um, you know, we only had one kid and I, you know, we're, we were so busy with her, with all of her activities and running around. I see people with two, three, four kids. And I'm like, how in the world do they do that? Uh, But you get so consumed with that, that you forget about yourself. You do, you do. And then I went through, I was with, um, I was working at Citibank when I had the kids and then, um, my job was actually relocating to Jacksonville, Florida, and I didn't want to move to Jacksonville. Um, the cost of living was way lower than it was here in Delaware, but I was just afraid if we had taken that opportunity, it would have been very hard to come back to Delaware, which is, you know, where my whole family lives and, and where I belong. Um, so I didn't take that opportunity and ended up getting laid off from that job. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and what, so what did you do in the, in the meantime? Like I p- pulled one of the kids out of daycare, uh, you know, my younger one and stayed home with her. We, we kept the second, my older one in daycare. He was about three. She was, you know, maybe one. 
And uh, I just started, you know, pounding the pavement and, you know, I hadn't applied for a job in like seven or eight years. And, you know, the industry luckily is, is pretty incestuous. So there were a lot of people that worked at Citibank that now worked at um, Bank One and JP Morgan Chase, all these banks that are in Delaware. So it took me about six months to, to land my job at Chase. So it wasn't devastating to the family or the finances or anything like that. And I did get, you know, I had some severance money, but um, took longer than I thought it would <laughs> to, to land on my feet again. Chase is now your employer. You're, so you're working again. And are the, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you put the kids back in day, the one kid back in daycare. Yep. Yeah. Everybody's back to, back to normal. I'm working full time. Um, kids are getting a little bit older now. They're starting to do their own activities. My husband was very involved with coaching baseball for my son. Um, my daughter was in competitive cheer, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, yeah, lots that, of travel. Huge here in Columbus. Yeah. Lots of weekend travel and things like that. So again, just lost myself, right? I was living to living and working to sort of support them and their, their endeavors. It's pretty much, you know, our existence and it wasn't unhappy, right? I mean, I was loving their successes and things like that, but definitely was losing myself slowly in the process. You're trolling along, going along, uh, rooting for your kids, cheering them on, doing all that stuff. There has to be a breaking point at some point though, where you, uh, you have felt like you had to do something for yourself. Yes. So a girlfriend of mine who lives in my neighborhood, we have kids around the same age. We decided that we were going to start um, exercising and that really looked like walking. <laughs> so every morning, 5am, we would walk um, and we'd walk for about an hour. And that 5am time slot was the time that quote unquote, nobody needed us. Everybody was asleep. Nobody was awake yet. No one had to go to school. Um, and that was our time. So we did that. And so did, did that help you find yourself? Um, I think it was a stepping stone for me. So it it was great to spend time with her to have a little girl talk. And, you know, we could gossip about our husbands and, you know, the other ladies in the neighborhood. Um, but from a physical perspective, we were noticing, she and I, that nothing was really happening. You know, we weren't getting fitter necessarily. We were just sort of doing our walk and it was more social than anything else. And that started to bother me a little bit because I'm thinking here I am getting up early, you know, and, and cutting into my sleeping time to do something that, again, it's kind of working, but not really. It wasn't it wasn't the magic bullet for me. What was your nutrition like at the time? Um, normal mom nutrition, you know, I'm cleaning off the plates of the kids, you know, finishing what they're not eating. Um, not too great. Just average American, you know, burger and chicken type diet. Nothing crazy, nothing good. <laughs> so I think this is where the story is going to change and we're going to, yes. we're going to start climbing up a little bit. What, what was that moment, uh, that pulls you out of your funk? Well, we, my girlfriend and I, we went out for a drink, which we would do occasionally, and we met up with an old neighbor of ours who we hadn't seen in a couple of years. She had gotten divorced and moved out of the neighborhood, and so we just kind of lost touch with her. She was always very slender, 
um, not very physically active. But as soon as we laid eyes on her, we said, uh, what are you doing to yourself? Because she looked amazing. She was muscular. Um, she looked healthy and vibrant. Um, and we knew there was more to it than just her being in a better place with her relationship with her husband or her ex-husband. And what did she tell you? Well, guess what? She started CrossFit. (laughs) And Mary and I, my friend Mary and I were like, what is CrossFit? We need to start doing this. So she introduced us to her box. Um, It's CrossFit Kennett Square in Pennsylvania, uh, right over the border, so close to my house. And guess what? They had a 5 a.m. class. So Mary and I were all in. So it was meant to be. I think so. I feel like it was for sure. 5 a.m. class waiting for you, uh, a new community. And how did that go? How did your first experience go? My first class was really fun, really hard. I don't remember the workout, but I do have a picture that I posted. I was one of those morning Facebook uh, motivational quote people. (laughs) Every day I would put like a motivational quote. I think it was more for myself. Um, than for anybody else. But I have a picture of the very, very top of the whiteboard where you can kind of see the logo of the gym. And I posted something like trying something new today. Um, And, you know, I can't tell you how many of those trying something new posts I'd probably put up there. Um, But for some reason, this one stuck. Like I was hooked pretty much right from the get go. And you began training how many days a week after you were hooked? Yeah, I started, I remember talking to the coach and him saying like, you should probably just start out, you know, two to three times a week, see how it goes. I think I did two to three times a week for maybe two weeks. And by the end of that two weeks, I said, I need to change my membership. I want an unlimited membership. I want to come every day because I just felt so good afterwards. It was, it was that competitive spirit. It was that intensity that I needed that I didn't have for so long. I don't know that I ever, besides being on stage um, dancing, I don't know if I ever felt that kind of intensity, exhilaration, high that you feel with anything else. It's so funny you say that because uh, when I first started, I did uh, two or three days a week and that did what, what hurt me then was the soreness would set in because I wasn't back flushing it out. Yep. So it actually benefited me going four and five times a week because uh, it would reduce the amount of soreness I had. Yeah. And for me, it was, we were walking five days a week at 5 a.m. So when they said, you know, only come twice a week, the walking seems so insignificant. You know, I can't come to CrossFit twice a week and then walk three days a week. Like that's, that's not doing me any good. So yeah, for me, it was just, I had to be, you know, I, and I'm kind of one of those people that I tend to be when I'm in, I'm like all in, I am, you know, rabbit hole all the way down to the nitty gritty and I just give it my all. And this was one of those things that for some reason, you know, after six months, I didn't stop. (laughs) And we're not saying that walking is insignificant. Uh, Not at all. Movement for people, getting up and moving is great for anyone. But I do know what you mean when you do the wads that we do in a CrossFit gym. Walking does seem like, oh, my God, I'm barely breaking a sweat. 
yeah, it's a, it's a active rest day for, for most CrossFitters, the walking, but yes, walking, if anybody's out there listening, just walking, that's amazing. And keep doing that. You, you have to do, my thing is you have to do what you love and it has to be enjoyable or you won't, you know, it won't be consistent. Yeah. Th- there's nothing like the feeling for me of grabbing a barbell and feeling strong. Mm-hmm. You got it. Yep, exactly. I remember one of my early classes, we were doing deadlifts and, um, I just spontaneously said to somebody, I don't know why they call them deadlifts. They're more like a live lifts because I just, that's how good I felt when I was lifting weights fast or slow or whatever. I just, I felt alive. We we talked the other night and I love this part of your story because it's, it is so similar to mine. We, we go to our first CrossFit workout, we start working out, we get hooked, uh, we jump into the deep end head first, and I love this part, outside of the gym, you did what? Oh, um, I hope I know what you're referring to. So outside of the gym, you're going to have to give me a clue. What do you remember that I don't remember? The, the research. Oh, yes. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I am a nerd, uh, most of the time. So I went into talk about a rabbit hole. I wanted to consume as much information as I could about this CrossFit stuff that I was doing. And there were some great outlets online, the CrossFit journal, there were some blogs and, you know, some other ancillary information that you could find, but I, some amazing podcasts. Yeah. Well now for sure. (laughs) Back then, not so much. This was back in, um, 2013. So, you know, not, not too, too long ago, there was still stuff going on, but I would, if there was a local competition, I wanted to go. If there was the, when the regionals came along, you know, I was the first one to buy my hotel reservation to get down there, to be able to see that. I just, yeah, I loved it. I wanted to, I wanted to learn more about it. It's part of the reason why I eventually took my level one was not necessarily to be a coach, but I just thought, well, this is like the official CrossFit mantra teaching. I need to learn it. You know, I need to learn it from the people that created it. And so that's what, that's what inspired me to get my level one. And then it was just what a year after that you got your level two. Yeah, I was, I was all in. I had a great opportunity at the box where I was to, to be able to coach and, once I started seeing how I could affect other people um, to get them to sort of open their eyes to things that maybe they thought they could never do again, super addictive, right? I mean, I wanted to do that more and I wanted to do it more often to more people. And I thought, well, if there's a level two certification out there, I should probably get it because that way I can do more of what I love. So it was becoming a real like passion of mine the coaching. And I was going to say, would that be, you finally found out what you wanted to be when you grew up? A a thousand percent. Yes, absolutely. And so again, um, diving in headfirst in the deep end, you made a choice, uh, around 2018, uh, that was very brave. Mm, Yes. Still scary to think about, but I was coaching at the time. Um, my box had one head coach and probably eight 
other coaches and the head coach coached 80% of the classes. So that other 20% of classes was divided up between the eight of us. And you didn't get many classes. <laughs> um, and it certainly wasn't enough for me. I wanted to do more. I wanted to program. I wanted to coach more classes. I wanted to get involved with the community. And there just wasn't much ceiling for me at that at that box to be able to do that. The nicest people ever, I am forever grateful for the opportunities they gave me, but I just couldn't grow with, with that group. And I thought to myself, the best way that I can do this is to go out on my own and do it. And so I was convinced that I was going to start, you know, open up my own CrossFit box or start my own personal training business, you know, something that, that had to be full time that I could devote, you know, all of my time and effort to. And so, yeah, April, 2018, April 1st was my last day um, at Chase. And I just completely took the plunge and said, I need to do this. This is what I'm meant to do and sort of come hell or high water, I need to make it happen. And I couldn't do that with a full-time job. <laughs> so there I went. You left corporate America and the security of a six-figure salary? Yep. Mm-hmm. To jump into wanting to help people and train people and coach people. That's, that's very commendable. Yeah, it sounds a little insane, doesn't it? <laughs> But, uh, but absolutely, if you talk to anybody that, that knows me well, it, it is absolutely where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, it's crazy. So happy. What were the first steps that you took after you, you made that plunge? Um, well, luckily, I had a reputation in, in the area um, for being, you know, a good coach, which, which was great. Um, and that helped me a lot. I had and I had and still have a, a small garage gym that I came up with a catchy name and decided that this was going to be my business. And I started out with three or four clients, one on one. One of my first clients, Kim, she was a 50 something breast cancer survivor, very deconditioned you know, wanted to sort of get fit. And she had been an old family friend and decided to hire me as her personal trainer. Um, and we had a great time, you know, getting her back to health and, and fitness and wellness. Um, I had a few, you know, quote unquote, soccer mom clients that would come during the day. I had a couple teenagers that would train with me, you know, on the weekends. Um, and it just kind of kind of grew from there. And the teenagers, they were athletes, uh, like in high school, at the high school level or middle school level in other sports, yeah. right. And just looking for something to supplement. Yeah. And actually it started out with, um, my son was in a travel baseball program nearby and they had a full service gym and, um, the owner of that baseball company actually hired me to do his strength and conditioning for his travel baseball boys. So kids from the ages of like eight all the way to 18, I became their trainer, which was kind of really cool. <laughs> um, and, you know, I didn't know too much about baseball specifically, but, you know, the basic tenets of strength and conditioning, deadlifting, squatting, and all of that just came into play. And, um, and that's how I started out with sort of that, that 
middle school, teenage, high school athlete sort of niche that, that I'm in right now. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, I know that at our gym, we did that with some football players mm -hmm. uh, where we uh, did the strength and conditioning for them in the off season. Uh, just because of a connection with a father that went to our gym and who's now our general manager. His son was a football player and like a big group of them would come in and do that. Uh, and when we were a very small gym, that helped actually grow the gym quite a bit because some of the parents actually started to come to the gym. Exactly. I even picked up um, a couple nutrition clients that way. Some of the boys, you know, you've got a kid who is a, you know, a D1 baseball hopeful who weighs 137 pounds, <laughs> right? And right. and is 16 and needs to put on safely put on some weight. And, you know, I have a I have a nutrition coach certification and was able to help him, you know, put on 20 pounds over the course of, you know, about a year and a half in a in a healthy, you know, mindful way. You also do um, some CrossFit coaching on the side, right, uh, with some other gyms, just to yeah, supplement? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I actually, um, last September, I got my level three certification in CrossFit. Um, and part of that um, certification to keep it um, valid is you need to have a certain amount of hours of CrossFit instruction, um, in addition to some other, you know, continuing education credits and things like that. So I absolutely have to keep, you know, working at CrossFit gyms to be able to maintain that certification. And, you know, that's, I would never leave that, that avenue. Cause that's, that's sort of my, my heart and soul is there. So as, as nerds, we want to get involved as much as possible. And so what other avenues have you um, gone down to be involved as much as possible in the CrossFit community? Yeah. So I was a, you know, professional spectator of the regionals, <laughs> um, and the games for, for several years. Um, and then realized that there were other ways to sort of even get closer to the action and that's by, you know, volunteering. And so last year I signed up to volunteer as a judge for the mid Atlantic CrossFit challenge. Um, went there, had a great time, enjoyed myself, and was able to springboard that into um, a judge's role at the Rogue Invitational last year, um, a, a judge's role at the Granite Games. Um, I actually went to the games and I got to judge on um, the teams, the elite teams for the games. I was a, a member of that judging crew. Um, I've since done, I, I was in Cleveland for the Rogue Winter Classic just recently back in December. Um, just came from the Mayhem Classic, was able to judge on the floor there. Um, and Which is where to... we met. Yes, that's where we met. That was such a wonderful event. Um, heads and shoulders above any I've, I've done thus far, you know, aside from the games and Rogue, of course, but just a great, great atmosphere of people. And it's just, it's, it's why I love the sport. I, I don't know any other sport that's like this. I really don't. Um, and, you know, I don't want to find out if there is because I'm happy where I am. And you, you have plans uh, to do Rogue again this year, correct? Yes. Yes. Would like to do Rogue again. I'm actually going to be um, I got promoted to team lead for Granite Games coming up in June. So climbing up that ladder. I'm, I'm hoping that um, someday soon this this judging thing maybe becomes um, a paid gig. Um, I think that's kind of what. Um, event coordinators are trying to do to just have some consistency across the judging. I know it's always a point of contention sometimes for competitions. If you get 
you know, it's subjective, right? It's like an umpire on a baseball field, but you, you have to be a good umpire. You can't just be a crappy umpire. So I think there's something to be said for that. And I figured if it's, if there's a way I can monetize my experience and, you know, and earn a little money, cause let's face it, I still have two kids that are, you know, heading to college and, you know, I need to earn some money. And if I can do it, um, doing something with the sport that I'm so passionate about, you know, I'm going to do it. One well, hopefully, hopefully I get to join you at rogue. Um, that would be fun. Uh, I've kind of, uh, due to a couple surgeries I've had to have, I took a break from judging, uh, but I'm going to try to get back into it at rogue. So, uh, and maybe do a couple other events. I want to take my podcast on the road. And so, uh, that'd be really cool to maybe hit a couple other, uh, sanctionals before the end of the year. That would be great. The environment's just very, very cool. It's just, you feel special. Yeah. And it's, it is the, you know, the volunteer groups. I I actually heard Rich say this in his podcast, uh, Rich Froning, that is for people who don't know that. (laughs) Um, He said that he was amazed at the, uh, the groups of friends that form with the volunteers and how much they travel around the country together and hang out together. Uh, and it was cool that he kind of saw that by doing the Mayhem Classic. Uh, that- he, he absolutely would have never seen that otherwise. Um, I love Rich. I think um, I saw a different side of him for sure during the Mayhem Classic because going into this, my thought was, and, and I'll stand by it, he's not a big fan of judges. <laughs> you know, he's an elite athlete and, you know, we're telling him how to do things and maybe he doesn't agree with it. And I will tell you on a scale of one to 10, he probably had us, you know, sub three on his, on his scale of likability, but I guarantee you that's changed since he's had a different perspective of, um, you know, of what we do. We were, we were top notch. I mean, we self regulated ourselves all weekend, um, and required very little supervision and, and yeah, we are a really tight group. I, even for me, I've only been in doing it a year now. Um, these people are my friends. I mean, we talk, all the time, Snapchat and, you know, Instagram DMs, and we're constantly communicating. We can't wait to see each other again. You know, I'm, I'm not going to Wadapalooza and pretty much every one of my judgy friends are going to be there (laughs) and I'm going to have serious FOMO, but you know, it's just, that's just, just the way it is. We, we're crazy. We spend all our money. This is, you know, this is my travel budget for the year is going to these sanctioned events and, and judging. It's, it's funny. I do have to give Rich credit. I do gr- I do agree that he's we're not always um his biggest uh like or or love in the sport, but he does say it's the hardest job in CrossFit. Yeah. And he he has said that repeatedly in different in different formats. The other thing I'll say is, you know, I had to take a year and a half break from judging, and the cool thing about that group is I show up at Mayhem just to work security and everybody acted like I was still part of the group and accepted me in. And it was, it was just amazing. I love, I just love the volunteer aspect of CrossFit. Yeah. It's a special group. It really is. Well, let's finish up with, um, what are your goals for the future? You've, oh, you've, big, you've quit corporate goals. America. Yeah. You, you've started a little garage gym. Uh, yep. you're, you're working part-time at a couple other CrossFit facilities uh, you're doing the judge thing, but what is your end goal? I, I think it keeps, uh, all right. Eventually I would like to own my own affiliate and I have gone so far as to, 
I have in my possession an accepted, approved affiliate application from HQ. The only thing I have to do is pay them the money <laughs> and show them the proof of insurance. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't make enough money to pay them the affiliate fee and and buy the insurance yet. So still trying to figure that out. But I am actively looking at space around the area um, to be able to expand into my own sort of brick and mortar place that's not my garage that can fit more than, you know, three adults comfortably. Um, I am really getting into the teen aspect of training. Um, and I actually started a middle school program last week where I go twice a week to a middle school and teach a CrossFit class to them um, twice a week. So I, I hesitate to say, you know, to put out there like this is where I'm going to be in five years. I am really enjoying the journey and the twists and turns that that I'm taking. Um, and I think I need to just be a little patient and fluid with uh, my thoughts to figure out, you know, where I'm going to land if I land and maybe not landing's okay too, right? Just sort of moving through this world, doing what I love and, you know, not having to go back to corporate America to make ends meet. So the journey is, is so enjoyable that you're, you're just happy being there. Yeah. Yeah, I really am. Yeah. That there's something kind of poetic and beautiful about that. Uh, just kind of discovering what is available. Thank you. Yeah. And it's just, I don't want to, I almost feel like saying like, oh, I want to own an affiliate in six months. Maybe that's, maybe I'm pigeonholing myself a little bit, you know, and maybe that's not what I'm supposed to do. Maybe I moved to Cookville and Rich hires me as his general manager <laughs> and I work for him, you know, um, you never know what can happen um, with the connections that I'm making through these sanctioned events. Um you know, I could always fill in for Amy on your podcast if you ever need me to to fill in. Um, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily want to set the path. I just want to keep moving forward what I'm doing and just kind of see where it takes me. Well, if I look at your journey now, you started as a professional ballerina. You went through some mighty struggles with uh, college nutrition. Uh, got yourself kind of back on track with a, being a gym rat. And then pregnancy kind of beat you up a little bit more. And you came back from that uh, to be stronger and healthier than maybe ever. Uh, yeah. And so that's quite a journey to bring you where you are. Now you quit corporate America uh, and you're you're just living your passion and your dream. And I am so envious of that. Uh, you know, that's what I want to do with my podcast. I want to reach out. Uh, hear the stories of America in health and fitness and CrossFit. And uh, so I, you are my hero. Um, well, it's going to happen for you, Scott. I know it is. Um, you're great at what you do. You have a, I say the path to success in anything is really being able to make human connections. Um, and I feel like that's what I do well. And I know that's what you do well. And I think anybody that can just connect with other human beings um, doing what they love, you're going to be successful. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you for sharing your story with us. Uh, I want to take this time. Thank you very much. Uh, you've been a great guest. And uh, we are going to say goodbye now. I am so happy you had me on the show. And uh, I wish you all the best. Thanks so much. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye.
Wow. I really enjoyed that story. I hope you guys did as well. Uh, Kat is an amazing person. Uh, as I said in the interview, she is my hero. Uh, I want to have the courage to be able to do that as well and take this podcast to bigger and better places. So thank you, Kat, for sharing and thank you for being an inspiration uh, to, to me and a lot of our listeners out there. So, Charlie, uh, from yes, that, let's uh, go to our favorite thing we saw on the Internet this week. Uh, this week, um, let's talk a bit, little bit about the um, Froning Five, which is a a, a YouTube show uh, kind of along uh, about the life of of Rich outside of the gym. Um, it talks about his uh, Froning Farms, where he's raising bison, and talks about bison. Uh, talks about his wife in the store and the. Um, the Airbnb that they've started as well. So it really gives a nice insight, talks about uh, kids and, and being um, a parent and, and doing, and how much that changes your life and changes your training and everything. So it's a good, it's a good, less, um, good number of episodes. There's about four or five now that you can catch up on, but um, yeah, so it was, it's a, it's a great look into the life. So for the first time in the history of this podcast, we were actually bringing our, the same favorite thing from the internet. Oh, look at that. Yeah, I was going to bring the Froning Five. Um, I actually came home and, and showed a clip to my wife where he talks about having the three kids and yep. that the girls have him wrapped around their finger. I know that, that very well. And that they can probably get away with a little bit more uh, than Trace does because he's a boy. Uh -huh. And they're more about roughhousing and... And, you know, the expectations are just a little bit different. He goes, I know it's probably not right, uh, but those girls have my heart on a string. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I was going to bring. But since you stole that from me, um, mm -hmm. one of the other cool things I saw this week is, uh, you know, I've missed Rory McKernan, right? He had a yep. YouTube channel uh, where he was on the road, you know, row ad. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a really cool kind of thing where he would just show up and kind of do a behind the scenes type of thing. And so he's kind of stepped back from that. And I know now that he's with no bull as their media director. Uh, he probably doesn't have the time to do a lot of that. So he actually put one out during strength and depth where he kind of did a recap and then sent it off to, to buddies of his and friends of his who are actually at the event. And it is hilarious. Hmm. Uh, there is a piece where uh, Tia and Shane are going around interviewing people at Strength and Depth, and Tia is holding a fork in her hand like a microphone. Oh, nice! And uh, it is it is really funny. Tommy Marquez does some interviewing in there. Uh, he just keeps popping to different people in. Uh, kudos to him; it was a really good job and really fun and lighthearted. Uh, he did update kind of the statistical aspect of it: who won, how these events went, and there, there's it's a three part episode or three part series uh, of each day of strength and depth, but the interviews and the like kind of going to his friends over at strength and depth were really funny. So check that out. I think you'll enjoy that a lot. Sounds good. I have to do that today. So with that being said, that is our episode for the week. Um, we wish Amy a good time over there in Rome and hope she has a blast at her drop in and yeah. can't wait to hear how all that went uh, when she returns. So thank you for joining us.
This was episode 11 of the Clydesdale Crossword and Friends, and we will see you next week. See ya. See ya. Thank you for joining us on the Clydesdale Crossfitter and Friends. We are available on all major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Please, if you liked what you just heard, hit that subscribe button and consider giving us a five-star rating. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Clydesdale Crossfitter and Friends.